This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Dan Greenberg said it best, quote, A lot of advertising is pretty negative. It's not very human-centric. Everything we've done at ShareThrough is about trying to build a human-centric, really positive advertising ecosystem. Dan is the CEO and founder of ShareThrough, a digital advertising company with an eye on making ads less invasive. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Dan discussed the importance of ads seamlessly working with the end user and why native advertising is quickly becoming the only form of advertising. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today, joined by special guest and fellow Oakland native, which is always great. Dan, what's going on? Howdy, howdy. Well, before we were talking uh, about our uh, extremely close upbringing, apparently, that we grew up mere, mere blocks away from each other, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but for the majority of this episode, we're not going to be talking about Oakland. We're going to be talking about everything from native to programmatic to supply path optimization, future of advertising type stuff. So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Uh, so like you said, born and raised in the Bay Area, I have always been around tech land my whole life. Born in Oakland, went to middle school in Oakland, high school in Oakland. Uh, I was joking before the call, I told you even as a five foot six something freshman, I still got to start in the basketball team. That's a, a little benefit from being at a tiny school. Uh, from there, ended up being at, uh, going down to Stanford. Uh, and through Stanford, which is obviously not as far away as I could have been, but through Stanford, you know, got fully inundated into tech land, uh, found myself, and this is a, a long story that I'll tell in a short bite, but found myself in this really interesting sort of niche within Stanford. I did an econ undergrad and kind of just did the down the fairway econ undergrad thing, but mostly found myself in um, this real interesting research territory and found myself in a lab. It's kind of in like the corner of Stanford off behind the computer science department that's like in some ways not even officially part. It is officially part, but it's in like buildings that weren't officially part of Stanford or something like that. Um, but it's this lab around computer-human interaction and how computers change human behavior. And ended up spending a couple of years of my Stanford career and then ended up doing uh, graduate work too, really digging into how does not just human-to-human persuasion work, but how does computer-to-human persuasion work? So how does you know, not just how do you convince me to give you something or not just how do I convince you to share something with me, but how does a computer, how does Facebook, how does LinkedIn, how does Apple, how does a website create credibility, uh, create social proof, create uh, some sort of human behavior change, ideally designed for good. There's you know, obviously lots of paths you can go down that are not for good, but in Stanford land with the Stanford mindset, it was definitely designed for good, which is all about how do you get, a, again, a computer to change human behavior. So spent a couple of years in that lab, did a bunch of like, you know, lab experiments and research studies and really focused in on you know, the areas of the web that could design for behavior change. And through that, ended up uh, finding myself really interested in just how does marketing obviously change behavior, 
but not from just the mass marketing of TV ads or radio or whatever, you know, generally, generally available ads, but from the hyper-targeted, hyper-trackable, um, and really hyper-persuasive ads on the web. There, there was sort of a moment where social started to open and Facebook news feeds started to open ads and MySpace at the time was relevant and Twitter had just begun and YouTube had just begun. And so sort of found ourselves at the confluence of computer human interaction and a bunch of academic research around that with the explosion of social media and social media advertising, which you know, is probably the most persuasive form of advertising that's ever existed. And so I found myself in the middle of all that, um, ended up teaching some classes about how do you design for behavior change in the social web. Uh, and that's, there's a long story of how that turned into share through today, but through a bunch of steps and a bunch of um, digging into problems and digging into customer challenges and just sort of new areas that were unfolding, found ourselves at the beginning and in some ways, I guess, the forefront of this trend, which we later dubbed native advertising. So native meaning the idea that the ads can fit in as opposed to sitting in the corners or as opposed to being foreign objects on page, native in that they fit into the experience. Um, and so we looked at the moment that was unfolding, all these ads that fit into Facebook and elsewhere, uh, and really started to dig into like, why do they work so well? Why are they so persuasive? Why are they so different from the traditional form of advertising? And from there, sure through was born and sort of to over the past, I guess, 11 years now, has grown and grown and grown and become a you know, leading independent ad exchange beyond native, but still anchored around this, this the same sort of roots of behavior change, persuasion, and really, and we can dive into this today, really trying to do advertising for good. Uh, a lot of advertising on the internet is pretty negative and definitely not very human-centric. And everything we've done at ShareThrough is trying to build a human-centric, really positive advertising ecosystem, really trying to uh, ensure the preservation of this open internet, but done with quality advertising designed for humans as opposed to just the traditional sort of foreign objects stuck on a page, uh, not intended to be there. That's my two, two minute little ramble, but happy to unpack that whole story and talk about where we are today. Yeah. And I'm excited to get into it. I mean, we talk a lot of bit on this show about how even, you know, the most premium publishers that you see some of the stuff that is advertised on their channels, that is just so terribly garbage um, that are, are, you know, these 25, you know, celebrity, uh, you know, makeovers that went disastrous and just this sort of stuff that is just like, I can't believe that there's so much of this kind of trash out there specifically around places where it's like, why do you think that this audience has an interest in that? Well, probably because a lot of people have uh, have clicked on it, uh, clicked on the train wreck. So I want to get into a bunch of that, the the value-added content and, and creating ads that uh, actually work well. Um, but for those of our listeners who don't know about ShareThrough, um, like flash forward to today, who are the types of companies that you're working with? Who are the, uh, types of like personas that you work with? Um, and what are they accomplishing with share through? Sure. So what started with the seed you know, back a decade ago around social advertising, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and, and other really evolved into the same sort of ad format for the rest of the web. So there's two ways to, to cast share through. If you're a programmatic advertiser or and you're a, a marketer or an agency or a trading desk or a trader who lives and breathes DSPs and ad exchanges and programmatic and the RTB spec, to some people they're like, yeah, that's my world. And to some people they're going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. 
So if you're in the mindset of programmatic, share through is a new kind of ad exchange. So we're similar to what Google AdX is or what legacy exchanges like OpenX or Rubicon or Index or Pubmatic might be. But we're an ad exchange designed uh, not just for spreadsheets and not just for pipes being connected, but an ad exchange designed for humans and an ad exchange designed so that every ad that comes through our pipe, every ad that comes from a DSP to our exchange, we enhance and we enhance it so it's designed for comprehension. So that the end user, the human who sees that ad, doesn't just see an ad on the screen and their cookies track it and you know, some pixels fire back to the ad server, but really the human brain who sees the ad on the screen comprehends the meaning of that ad. Uh, that, that to me is so fundamental to what we do and just so fundamental to successful advertising. And again, so fundamental to why Facebook and Twitter and YouTube ads work is because they're not just there. They don't just track back to a spreadsheet. They're actually comprehended by the human. So what share through is a new kind of ad exchange that fits into the whole programmatic ecosystem. All the demand side platforms are plugged into our supply, all the premium publishers as well as Midtail and just kind of the editorial publishing land of the web are plugged into our exchange as supply partners. And we act as an intermediary of sorts to help connect programmatic supply with programmatic demand, but doing something very unique, which is enhancing both the supply side and the demand side. So that the human at the end of the day sees an ad that's more integrated, uh, more respectful and just more comprehensible. That's if you live in programmatic land. If you don't live in programmatic land and you're just a social marketer who's focused on Facebook land or a search marketer, the best way to think about ShareThrough is that we're an ad platform that takes the ad formats you see on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, these like integrated newsfeed-based ad formats, and we power them for the rest of the web. So we power them on CNN.com and on RollingStone.com and RealSimple.com and uh, just kind of the, the open web, which has kind of been left to its own devices. Facebook has sucked a lot of the air out of the ad ecosystem. And Google obviously is the 800 pound gorilla in our world. But a lot of the open web, you know, the blogs, the cooking sites, but even the foodnetwork.coms, you know, even the cnns.coms have really been living in the past with just traditional sticky banners on the pages and sometimes even worse interstitials and pop-unders and pop-ups, whatever. So what we're trying to do is bring a suite of ad formats to the open web that are as respectful, as integrated, as performant, uh, and ideally as uh, highly monetizable as the ads are on Facebook. And so, for the for the advertiser, take a you know uh, Coke or a Procter and Gamble or somebody like that. Um, how would they leverage this in a way that was different than um, what they'd traditionally been doing with like you know buying banners or something like that? Sure. So let's just go down the Procter and Gamble track. PNG is a uh, solid long-term customer of ours, and I guess I can't t say specifics, but they, they use us across all their lines of business. The PNG team, as well as the Hearts and Science agency team, and you know, additionally the trading team, who actually is like hands-on keyboard, running and trafficking and optimizing their campaigns inside of a DSP. That DSP maybe is the Trade Desk, or maybe it's Google's DB360, or you know, there's a handful of others: Adobe, Amobi. Media Math, DataZoo, uh, but the two that matter there, Trade Desk and DB360. A trader or a marketer thinks about ShareThrough as a supply partner. So a marketer who is setting up an ad campaign and looking to have the highest performing, uh, most integrated and just essentially most comprehensible ads. Instead of just saying, I'm going to target every supply partner on the internet or every site on the internet has always said, I'm going to have whitelists or I'm going to have very specific audience targets or maybe I'm going to even go pub by pub by pub to strike direct deals. 
what share through is, is an ad exchange that they can, that the PNG team can use as a supply partner inside of a larger ad campaign. So that ad campaign might run on radio and on TV and on digital banners and on uh, native and Facebook and elsewhere. Share through fits in as a, a supply partner within that mix, but they know that when they run on share through it's safe. It's editorial content that they're running inside of and around. It's uh, fraud free. It's all the sort of core components that are necessary in this day and age. Plus one more, and to me really critical point, which is that when they run their ad on share through, it's not going to just take their standard banner or their standard native ad and just like throw it to the page willy nilly. We are so careful and so obsessed with taking that ad and making sure that when it renders itself for the human, when it renders to the page and an actual person on the screen sees it, that that person sees something that fits in, it looks respectful, it's understandable, it's comprehensible, it does its best to match the flow of the site, match the design of the site, clearly called out as an ad, but much more comprehensible than just like a random banner in the corner or even if it is a banner that we're serving, doing our best to make sure it fits the page properly. It ideally has a headline, ideally has some components around it that helps it be more comprehensible. And so PNG thinks about us as a performance supply source that helps them increase their overall campaign performance. It also helps them benchmark other supply partners, knowing that if I have share through as one supply partner and it's performing at, you know, call it 1% click-through rate, but then my average for others is at 0.2% click-through rate, it's a nice benchmark to be able to like dig into the details and figure out why is it that it's performing so much better here and what can I do to optimize the rest of my campaign to try to get it as performant as what I'm seeing with share through. One more thing I would add into there is that a lot, there's a lot of probably ad tech buzzwords I'm throwing around, uh, but one more thing I'd add in is that share through is a partner for native ads, for video ads and for traditional display ads. So if somebody like a PNG uses share through as a supply partner, not just for native campaigns, but also for video campaigns um, and also for banner campaigns and that our, our ad products and our ad exchange are designed to improve and enhance uh, all those formats. And so for our listeners who, who want to get an understanding of, of what this looks like in real time, you can just go to sharethrough.com slash enhanced ads. But it's, um, it's really fascinating, the idea of like the headline um, as like, what, why does this matter? Um, you know, and to the, to the marketers who are kind of like day in and day out had been doing display ads for a long time. If you go see the difference between it, it's so intuitive. You're like, oh yeah, I actually would read that versus the other banner, which I probably would, would have, uh, would have glossed over. Yeah. Something we say often is that it's, it's not the headline or sorry, it's not the tagline that matters. It's the headline. So like you're exactly what you're calling out. There, there might be a tagline on the page inside the banner. But if that tagline isn't translated to a headline that a human person actually reads, it's just there. Nobody reads it. Nobody comprehends it. It's just words on the screen versus actual words that your brain truly reads and comprehends. So then walk me through. So like in that example, they, they change uh, to enhanced ads. Um, what is like, what's the result that happens? So a couple things, even if I just explain it from the get go, Traditionally, a banner is made to just be perfectly targeted to a user, but kind of just to the side, or maybe it's on the screen, but it's just like it's this foreign object. It often has words inside of it where if you're looking at the banner as a marketer and you're like really zoomed in and like really purposefully paying attention to the details, those words might be processed. 
but in most cases it's words like designed to be on a, a mailer or designed to be just sort of glossed over, you know, buy this now, or maybe some tagline from a TV ad campaign. And what you realize is that if that banner isn't being translated for the web, isn't being translated to the form factor of the web, the user might see the colors and the user might see the button and the user might even see you know, the picture of the deodorant in the ad, but they're not going to actually read the words that say, you know, P&G or Unilever just launched a 48-hour dry spray that goes on instantly dry, which is not obviously the most exciting headline you've ever heard. But if that, if that headline is inside a banner, no one's going to read it. They might see it again, but no one's going to read it. Versus if that headline is served uh, with the banner as a headline that matches the form and function of the site, the human who reads through it is going to actually perceive it and comprehend it uh, the same way that they would comprehend anything else that they're skimming past. I agree with what you said you know, a minute ago, which is that it's so easy to say, like, it's just a headline. You know, how, can the, how can it be that important? But if you think about your usage of the internet these days, for what it's worth, it's mostly skimming headlines. And we could go down a whole probably sociological path about how that's making uh, our culture too um, divided. And you know, headline skimming obviously has plenty of downsides. But the truth is that headline skimming, you know, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or just every website, CNN, New York Times, et cetera, is the way that people experience the internet. And so as a marketer, instead of trying to change someone's behavior to do something different, to me, it's always critical that you fit into somebody's existing path. So instead of saying, like, come to me, do something different and foreign from what you're currently doing, it's way more persuasive to say, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to fit my message into the format that you're already skimming through. You're already skimming through headlines on the internet. You're already you know, skimming through sites and articles and you know, reading the words, but not like zooming into every single pixel of my banner. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to design my ad formats so that they fit in to your existing experience of the web. Um, and so again, that's what we're trying to do at Share Through, but I think it's a, a, a macro trend that's definitely not going anywhere. Native as a, um, is not only an ad category, Native in some ways is also just like a movement. It's a movement away from foreign ads that don't fit in to integrated ads that do fit in or from ads that, that don't provide value to ideally ads that do provide value. And no matter what platform you look at, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or the open web or soon to be in-home devices like Alexa or Google Home or, or even connected devices, um, connected TV, as well as obviously anything virtual reality, the more integrated the experience is to your life, like the more integrated Alexa is to your living room, the more the ads need to also be integrated. You know, the idea of a random ad popping up on Alexa out of nowhere is just nonsensical. And so to me, just native is a, a new normal that any ad format invented in this day and age has to be native. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I think the the headline skipping thing is something that we like to think is really new, but... You used to headline skip when you read newspapers. You'd headline skip when you'd flip through a magazine. Like it's not like it's that new um, that you would do that. Like if you're sitting waiting to get your haircut and you had a magazine in front of you, you flip through the pages and you read the headlines. Like it's really not that. Uh, like it, it's not that big of a shift of behavior. I think it's just a shift to digital behavior where it's like the difference between like that, that snapshot in time when the uh, desktop ads where it's like you're competing 
with at different ads at the same time on the same page is so crazy when you look at web pages that are like that. It's like there's three different banners here for three different products that all look horrible. And it's like the it's the most distracting thing. And then there's a video pop up and all sorts of stuff. It's like, it's why, you know, all of these uh, native ads are so successful. It's like, you know, you look at Instagram ads, like Instagram ads are, are practically flawless, right? It's like, they're the only thing on your screen at that given time. Of course, it's going to work really well. Um, and it's cool to see the innovations that you're talking about that are, you know, linking together all of these, um, all of these publishers to, uh, to be able to provide that, that same sort of experience. I'm curious though. So how does like native, go to from native to programmatic to now this new thing um, that you've been talking about supply path optimization. Yeah. uh, I I like that thread and let's dive down it Uh, before I dive down that whole programmatic thread, just to stay on the native theme and like the critical importance of native for a second. um, You're right. That if you go pop around the web, you go find a recipe for the thing you're going to cook tonight, or you go and find an article about something you're interested in in sports or whatever in almost all cases, you're going to find yourself on a page that has a bunch of ads on it. I um, mean, some publishers, it's really high quality and some publishers, it's this mishmash of great ads and weird ads. And I, I just want to call out that I think on the, the open web, we're in a teenage stage right now. The, the open web has created the, the native ad format and adopted it. And in some ways, the, the native ad format is like the character that this teen wants to be when it grows up. It's the best, best of itself. It's the part it's proud of. But the web also has a bunch of legacy stuff that came from its past. And you look at you know, even a CNN.com, doesn't take much clicking to get to some stuff that you squint your eyes at and say, huh, this is not as high quality as I would expect from a premium tier one publisher, let alone if you go down to kind of the, the mid tier of the web of just like blogs that have a couple hundred thousand users a month. There's a lot of stuff that's carried over from the past. Uh, I haven't really used this analogy before, but I'm, I guess maybe in some ways there's like the teenage pimples or maybe those are like the weird clothes that we used to wear and we haven't had the you know, courage to get rid of from our closet yet. Um, the open web though is only moving in one direction. The web is not moving away from native and the, the web is only growing up. I cannot imagine a world a decade from now where you look back at the internet and it's full of punch the monkey ads and screen takeovers and interstitials and pop unders and the rest of that. The longer we wait and the longer we build, the more that will go away. And the more the integrated human centric quality advertising will prevail. Um, And that's not just my opinion. If you look at Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and every single new platform, they've been born in the age of native and they don't even do banners. You know, you look at Snapchat, there are no banners on Snapchat. You look at TikTok, there's never going to be a banner on TikTok. You look at Instagram, like you just said, there's never going to be an interstitial ad that takes over your page and acts as a big, interrupted banner on on Instagram, which is not a thing. So anytime you think about a new ad format being born, any platform you can come up with, I'll be able to, you or I or anybody can come up with a native ad format. And I can guarantee that that native ad format will prevail over a, a legacy ad format. WhatsApp is not going to be banners. It's going to be you know, integrated messages from vendors and stores. Alexa is not going to be interruptive ads in your living room, it's going to be offers for products that you've asked for. Uh, Virtual reality is not going to be, hey, stop walking on the street and here's a big 15 second ad. It's going to be local offers. It's going to be something integrated. It's going to be sponsorships. And so the 
the more um, the mediums progress, the more native continues to thrive as just the only natural ad format. That's my shtick on native. I just think it's so important right now. And I think as the, the web is transitioning, it's so important to just pay attention to that, both on the publisher side, but also the advertiser side, because that's where, if that's where the attention is and that's where the performance is, that's what the advertiser need to be thinking about too. Yeah, especially if you're giving someone a reason to click. Like that's the other piece is like, obviously we see a lot of like garbage content as I was said at the top of the episode uh, of stuff that pushes to like, you know, random place. But I think that as we see the level of content that's being promoted, I always use the example of like, uh, where do people go and willingly sit through advertisements? Like, then not only that, they they want to do it. They show up early. They're excited about it. It's like, go to a movie theater, right? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. people sit through the ads on purpose. They go there. Part of the reason is for the ads. And I just think that there's so much stuff that people want to know about. Like, look at infomercials. Look at, like, historically, if you look back, there's so many places where people look intentionally to find out new things, to find new products and services, to find new content. Um, and I think a lot of the best marketers have figured out a way to do stuff like that. Uh, and they get the best results. Definitely agree. Yeah. Advertising done well is just like the, the, in some ways, like the backbone of commerce. You have to introduce a new product. You have to discover something about a product or a service. Um, you have a problem in your life, you have a problem with your car, you have a problem that you're trying to solve. If done well, advertising helps you solve that problem. Obviously, that's rose-colored glasses I'm looking through. and There's plenty of terrible advertising, both on the internet and elsewhere. But advertising done well uh, really can provide value to people and really helps like the economy thrive, helps new businesses launch, helps new services launch, new products launch, helps you know, find people who have problems and provide them solutions. That's, that's definitely me talking with my advertising pundit hat on right now. Uh, Cause I, again, I clearly know that not ads are as successful as that, but I think it's good to strive in, you know, in every ad you serve to provide some sort of value. Well, that's, I mean, that's what this show's about. Um, that's why, uh, that's why we talk to the best marketers in the world to get their thoughts on this stuff. Um, okay. So let's get into the supply path optimization. What is this? So we talked native as an ad format. We did talk a bit about programmatic RTB is real time bidding. That's, the buying and selling mechanism that's used to, to run a unified auction across the web that allows marketers and publishers to transact on a single unified bidding mechanism. That is available to every marketer through a DSP. And it, I'm going to do the 10 second, what is a DSP? DSPs are demand side platforms that are set up for a marketer to log in and buy ads everywhere. Uh, and traditionally they were set up for banners, but over the past five years, Video has come into the DSPs as, uh, as well as native has come into the DSPs. And you can also start to buy uh, connected TV ads, radio ads, even digital out of home ads are available through DSPs. So we don't need to do a DSP episode. If you're new to the world of programmatic and DSPs, and this is interesting, there's a whole world to discover. Either DV360 or the Trade Desk can take you on a path to help you understand the op- opportunities within the, wor- you know, the world of programmatic. But within the world of programmatic, uh, we at ShareThu have been responsible for introducing native into the programmatic spec and into the programmatic dialogue and ecosystem. Um, And over the past five years or so, took native from something that was non-standard and different and not programmatic to something that is programmatic. It's viable through every DSP. It's manageable and optimizable and targetable through every buy-in platform. 
and really standardized. And I think that's the beauty of native is that it can be bought in a standard way, but when it's rendered to the user, when the human sees it, the, ad, the page that it shows up on helps design how the ad looks, which is unlike a traditional banner. Um, and that's the role of companies like ShareThrough is that we're, we're managing the templates and managing the integrations and making sure that uh, when, a, when a Procter & Gamble sets up a native ad campaign to run in their DSP, to run across a whole bunch of sites, hundreds or thousands of sites, that in every single moment, the ad fits in as well as possible and uh, as a result performs better. So programmatic created a whole ecosystem and as programmatic now, I don't know the number offhand, but I think it's something like 70 or 80% of display ads are bought programmatically. Um, and in some ways, even Facebook ads are also programmatic because you have to buy them through the Facebook buying platform. The counter to programmatic is traditional like fax-based, email-based, contract-based ad agreements where you'd have a sales rep from ESPN send a contract to Procter & Gamble, which they would sign and then send back, and then ESPN would traffic the ad using a black box ad server on their side. And there is still some of that in very few cases for like really premium direct sold ads or really premium managed service type campaigns. But by and large, programmatic has, has kind of taken over the digital ad ecosystem. I guess I have two things to say. One is that native is now programmatic. And so if you're doing programmatic, but not yet native, know that it exists. It's available through your DSP already. It's one click away. You can target uh, any supply source, uh, share through or Google or others with native ads. But then the second thing I would say, and this is starts to uh, unpack the SPO supply path optimization discussion is programmatic has also birthed a ton of complexity and a ton of connections where a buyer would never have thought they were spending on a certain supply or never have thought they're spending on a certain site. But because of programmatic, they just said, I'm going to run my ad everywhere. And then all of a sudden you turn around and I'm running on 17 million websites on the internet, which never was anyone's intention. And so there's an emergent theme over the past year or so that agencies and trading desks and brands and you know, the, the big agency holding companies are wrapping their arms around, which is this concept of supply path optimization, which is looking at all the supply paths that my ads are taking to get to the user and really starting to figure out like, what are these supply paths and how do they compare to each other and which ones are important to me and which ones are less important to me, which ones are performing, which ones are less performant, which ones are more transparent versus which ones are less transparent. And so I'm happy to go down a whole path talking about that theme, but supply path optimization is kind of like the beginnings of the next chapter of programmatic where programmatic acts as a buying mechanism on top of strategically defined, uh, very purpose-driven partnerships between marketers and, and publishers. Yeah. So walk through that. So what would be an example of, uh, of like one of those supply paths um, that you notice is performing really well? Uh, so let's just stay on your Procter & Gamble example. So P&G logs into their DSP or their agency trading desk team at Hearth & Sciences logs into their DSP. And if they set up an ad campaign for banners or video or native, and they just target all supply, they'll end up on hundreds of sites, really more like millions of sites, through maybe 100 different supply paths. You know, Google is the biggest supply path, but Rubicon, Index, Pomatic, OpenX, ShareThrough, SpotX, you, know, you, you can name a whole long list of you know, ad, ad exchanges and supply partners, as well as just Publisher Direct. And in some cases, that's fine. If you don't care about the sites you're on and you don't care about the necessarily like the partners you're working with, then that's probably fine. The one asterisk for anybody who clicks all, 
what they don't realize, but ultimately ends up happening is that something like 80% of the budget just goes to Google. Uh, and the reason for that is that Google's black hole of supply is so, so large that for any given campaign, any given budget, Google is just has so much gravity around it that that budget will just naturally kind of fall into the black hole of Google. And so that, that's like one precautionary thing to call out is that if you don't want to spend all your money on Google, you do need to be purposeful about saying how much you want to spend on Google. Um, and maybe it is 70% you want to spend on Google, but I, my advice there is just to be purposeful about it. If you want to spend 70% on Google, great. And that probably is a fine strategy in many cases, but put in, you know, Hey, I'm going to put 70% of my budget on Google and then 30% on the rest. Uh, because if you don't do that, you might end up with 70, 80, 90% of your campaign on Google just because it's a big supply path. But then if you look at the other supply paths, what supply path optimization is doing is saying, if I ultimately end up on, call it foodnetwork.com, and ultimately my ad runs on foodnetwork.com to the human on that screen, if I look at the supply path that it took, sometimes it goes DSP to Google Ad Exchange to Ad Network to another ad network to foodnetwork.com and then it serves the ad. Sometimes my supply path goes my DSP to share through to foodnetwork.com and it's a direct path to foodnetwork.com. Sometimes it goes DSP to some other ad exchange over back to Google AdX and then back to foodnetwork.com. But ultimately the human on foodnetwork.com is still seeing the same ad. And so what SPO supply path optimization is doing is sort of teasing out the differences between those three different paths and saying, what are those paths, first of all? Uh, and then how do they perform? What are their, what kind of like latency does each have? What kind of taxes and margins does each supply path have? What kind of match rates and overlaps and other things? So supply path optimization first shines the light on those paths. And then the next step is to say, well, now, now that I have the data, what do I do with it? Um, and we obviously have some opinions and points of view about it. So if SPO is the way to to tease out what paths are my ads taking to arrive at a certain site. Step one, again, is shining the light. But step two is saying, now that I understand this, or the pass, what do I do with it? There's the path that a lot of marketers are taking, which is a really complex, deep data dive, hiring consultancies and just doing deep, deep work, which is really important. And that starts to suss out technical reasons like latency and bid overlaps and cookie match rates and ad tech taxes and things, which is really important. But I, I will call out that I think there's something that's been maybe overlooked in terms of how easy and impactful it can be. You know, and then maybe the two by two of ease and impact, you can get like 80% of the value out of doing the thing that I'm about to say, which is instead of going down the whole path of latency and overlaps and match rates and tech reasons, if you simply just say, wait, why am I doing SPO or why am I looking at my supply paths? In almost every case, the answer is going to be performance. In almost every case, the answer is going to be the reason that I'm doing a supply path optimization exercise is because my world has gotten so complex that I want to figure out how I can optimize my paths and optimize my campaigns to just perform better. And what I would call out, and this is what uh, most folks aren't really talking about yet, is that instead of doing all of that underneath the surface work of the technical analysis, you can also just look at the actual campaigns that are live and simply just say, how are my supply paths performing? If I look at the four, five, six different supply paths that I might have, and sometimes it's more like 50, but if I look at all of them for any given campaign or every, any given brand that I work on, 
I can use my existing DSP, Trade Desk, DV360, Media Math, whatever, to simply just say, like, how is each supply path performing? What's the CTR? What's the CPC? Cost per click? What's the cost per view? What's the cost per acquisition? What are the metrics that I care about? Visibility rates, cost per visible impression, et cetera. What are those metrics? And just put them into a table. Ask yourself this question. Am I spending my money on the supply paths that perform best? And blindly, in most cases, if you haven't done an exercise like that, you'll discover that most of your budget is going to Google Addicts. And Google Addicts sometimes is a high-performing exchange, but in, on average will be a middling or you know, average performer. And you'll end up having pockets of, of supply paths that perform really well, but you're not spending your budget on those supply paths. And so my simple advice is spend your money where you're seeing performance. And that sounds so silly to say out loud, uh, but SPO as a concept has just gotten so complex with so many technical nuances and consultancies wrapped around it. that I think that part has been lost. You can get 80% of the value by just simply looking at the DSP and saying, which of my, what are my highest performing exchanges? And let's not just blindly spend on the biggest ones. Let's actually purposely spend on the highest performing ones. And do you feel like as people are running those types of campaigns, um, you kind of get a garbage in, garbage out scenario? Like how are people positioning the things on the front end to actually drive the results on the back end? Like for example, you know, we had um, Lomit Patel on here and he was talking about how his team now is mostly structured because they're using so much AI and a bunch of other cool stuff about creating inputs to feed the beast that are really interesting and nuanced so that they can split test like all sorts of different types of copy that people actually want to, uh, you know, be interested in that they actually would want to click on and doing that sort of stuff. Like, I'm curious, like, how does, how does the actual input of, of content play into this? Yeah. Ultimately that's the, the only thing that matters. And all the rest of this in terms of how you buy and how you optimize and that all presumes that the message that you have is human, it's purposeful, it's resonant. And that if a human reads it, that they'll read it and say, huh, makes sense. Or, huh, that's interesting. Or, huh, I'm glad they shared that. Or maybe, huh, I'm not interested. But if the message itself doesn't spark any human reaction, if the message actually, if, if somebody looks at your banner and goes, huh, what? I don't get what that even means. There's no value to any of the rest of everything we just discussed because you can work really hard to optimize your supply paths and find all the the pockets of performance and focus on the types of partners you want to work with. But if ultimately the ad on the screen is nonsensical, then the, the comprehension will not be there and the performance will not be there. You might see some performance through like, view through attributions or click through attributions that seem on paper or seem through an Excel spreadsheet to perform. But it's funny how often you'll actually, actually, I like this example. If you go to moat.com, M-A-O-T.com and type in any brand name, you can just see their banners and you can type in Nestle, Clorox, whatever. And some are great, but some also, when you look at them with the lens that we just talked about, you look at them and you say, wait, the words in that banner don't make any sense. So if somebody read that banner how would they even possibly comprehend the meaning of this ad? Because the words don't make any sense. They made sense on the creative spec and they made sense in the creative brief and maybe they made sense for TV ads. But in the context of this banner, those words just make no sense. So yeah, to your point, the message is critical. 
Um, and there's a lot of advice about what types of messages work, especially in this day and age of COVID, but also just in general, the types of messaging that works, that's more human, that's more direct, it's more sort of straightforward in its messaging. So obviously everything has changed uh, with the global pandemic and the way that people have consumed content has been potentially very different. What have you seen on your end? So in a nutshell, we actually dove way into this over the past month or so, looked at 70,000 or so creatives across our exchange, I think 3,000 campaigns or so, uh, and looked at brands who have changed their messaging versus brands who have not changed their messaging. And the main takeaway was that any response, any change, improves the, the performance by 10% for video and 50% for banner ads. So a, a banner ad that has some sort of new messaging or a video that has some sort of new messaging has statistically significant improvement just by virtue of changing the messaging. But then we dug in deeper to start to look at the buckets of um, how the messaging has changed, bucketed into seven different groups. I can even share this link with you and maybe you can post it to the site after too. Uh, but seven different groups and some had middling impact and a couple had really, really uh, statistically significant and just very significant impact. Uh, the two that had the most impact, the two buckets of types of creative messaging changes, one, which is unsurprising, but it's just good to tie a bow around it, is that any tip to improve home life, any example of a brand saying, hey, I have a way to you know, improve your home life, like something about tax act saying we're going to help you do tax fines, tax filings from home, uh, PG&E, the energy company saying, here's how you can save on your energy bills during this time. Uh, ads from CPG companies talking about how to create a sense of normalcy for your kids during coronavirus, anything like that actually saw a 300% increase in performance. Um, the second highest performing, and I think this is just a general blanket advice that probably applies to any marketer going forward forever, is that any headline and any ad that was updated to have empathy inside of it or to be designed with empathy performed 100% better. Uh, than the prior ad that was not really designed for empathy. So an ad that says, here's wow. a step-by-step -step guide to take care of your scalp because you deserve TLC too from head and shoulders. Even though like that sounds like the, the normal ad they'd always run, there's a lot of head and shoulders ads that weren't about you know, taking care of yourself. Microsoft Teams doing, hey, if you need to work from home, Microsoft Teams is now free for XYZ types of groups. You know, hey, we have empathy for you. You've been, you need to work from home. We have a solution for you. Um, hey, you're stressed. Here's a way to shop stress-free from Abercrombie. Even though they seem like small tweaks, just anything that has some sort of empathy that says, hey, we feel you and hear you and can see what it's like from your side, uh, had a 100% increase in performance. And I, I really think that that's probably the through line of this whole episode is that the more empathetic a brand can be, the more empathy the internet can bring to the ad formats, the more sort of human and just simple in terms of the way we understand the way a person sees the ad on the screen, the more performant everything's going to be, both in the short term at the campaign level, but also just the long term in terms of the preservation of the open web. All right, let's get into our lightning round. These are fast and easy questions, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more lightning round questions. Dan, are you ready? Ready. Number one, what is your favorite place to eat in Oakland? Mm, summer Kitchen on College Avenue. If you didn't do this, what would your job be? Children's book uh, illustrator slash writer. What book or podcast are you reading or listening to right now? I am reading an awesome sci-fi book called The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. 
Best advice for a first-time CEO? Uh, I would say marry the problem, not the solution. You're going to spend your whole life working on iterative solutions and iterative challenges, but if you're married to the first solution, you're married to the, the first thing you build, it's going to be really hard to throw it away when you realize that it doesn't work. If you get married to the problem and your customer's problem, the solutions you build don't matter. You're going to keep iterating and MVPing them and trying them until you find something that works. Great advice. Dan, it's been awesome having you on the show. We got to have you back. All sorts of uh, fun uh, fun stuff coming for uh, for sure through. I appreciate the time. Uh, also, always good to talk to a fellow Oakland guy. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? I will say my high school friends will be offended by my restaurant answer. The real answer has got to be Gordo Taqueria. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the, healthy, yeah. the healthier adult version says Summer Kitchen. It is, uh, it is, the correct answer is Gordo's, so you're <laughs> absolutely correct. Um, that was a test. Awesome. Thanks, man. Everybody uh, check out uh, sharethrough.com and, and learn more, some awesome uh, stuff on there. Nice. Thanks for having me. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.